is to crawl out from under everything that preoccupies you and see this magnificent display of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that the Apostle Paul sets for us in the book of Ephesians. Now the study of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians really pivots around verse 3 of chapter 1. So look at that with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In the book of Ephesians, that word spirit or spiritual occurs 13 times. But in this verse 3, he does not use it in, in contrast with a physical. He's not saying that God blesses us with physical blessings and he blesses us with spiritual blessings and here are these spiritual blessings and contrast with physical blessings. Rather, he's saying it like this. He blesses us with those blessings that proceed or have their source in the Holy Spirit so that God blesses us in the sense that the Holy Spirit blesses us so that from the Holy Spirit's origin and source, He brings blessing to us. Two facts about that. One is that we have every blessing that proceeds from the Holy Spirit. Nothing is withheld. It means that everything that the Holy Spirit possesses in blessing of God, He makes available to every believer. Not a, not a believer is withheld. One of His blessings and the second fact is that it is through the Holy Spirit that God communicates His blessing to us. Now I think sometimes we are kind of afraid of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, lest we get, you know, become fanatical. But let me tell you that every blessing of God is communicated through the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is that all that Jesus is and all that Jesus wants to be and do in your life and mine, He does by the Holy Spirit. He takes that which is of Jesus and transfers it to us so that the Holy Spirit is the channel through whom God communicates His blessing to us. Now the text. In Him, verse 13, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now there are three steps there in the great provision of salvation. And in the construction of this in the original language, it is obvious that step one is separated from steps two and three. Step one is that you hear the gospel. Now you may hear the gospel many times and never believe. You may hear the gospel several times so that that's separated from steps two and three. But having heard the gospel, then the second and third steps in the provision of salvation of these, you believe and are sealed. And the believing and the sealing occur simultaneously. That is, the moment you believe, 
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, in that very moment, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, I suppose that this then is the very first and real ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer as the Apostle Paul sets forth that ministry in the book of Ephesians. It is the ministry of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now what does he mean when he says that the Holy Spirit, we're sealed with or by the Holy Spirit? It seems like a tremendous challenge to me to be able to communicate that when you've got children here all the way up to you know, adults who are actually Bible scholars to really make this where people can understand what is happening. So I'm gonna do my best. The sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. First of all, it is a seal of truth. That, uh, by that I mean it is the means of authentication or authentication. It is the means of ratifying something or confirming it so that in order to prove that the experience with Jesus Christ in salvation is real and genuine, he gives us his Holy Spirit. Now Paul says this in other places. He says in Galatians 4, 6, and because your sons God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And John picks up the theme in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, and the one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him, and we know by this that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. So that the Holy Spirit is the witness, the inner witness to the believer that the experience he had with Jesus Christ is genuine. Now I know that there are some experiences we have and we call them salvation experiences that are really not genuine experiences. I mean, I, when I was eight or nine years old, I came forward and joined the church and I looked on that as my salvation experience. It wasn't a salvation experience for me, really. I came to that uh, realization later on. And I also know that it, you know, our salvation is not based upon feeling. It's not how high you jump or how loud you shout or whether you go out and do such marvel, you know, marvelous and mighty things. I know that also. But I do know that at the point of conversion, when a person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, there is an inner witness that that experience is genuine. S.M. Lockridge was the, is the great um, black preacher who grew up in a little uh, sharecropper farm down in East Texas and he went out to California and uh, became a pastor of a black church out there and is, uh, you know, is a, has tremendous um, notoriety and fame. I heard him preach at a convention uh, a few years back and he said that that um, you know he was born in this little old shack in East Texas and there wasn't even a doctor there so he didn't have a birth certificate. And he got out to California and he, and he and came to a time when he was transacting some business, he had to have his birth certificate. So he went down, the lady said, I need to see your birth certificate. And he said, I don't have one. 
And she said, well, we can't transact this, transact this business without a birth certificate. And he said, well, why do I need a birth certificate? And she said, well, we don't really know whether you exist or not without a birth certificate. Now, S.M. Lockridge said in his colorful way, he said, now here I was standing in front of her, 290 pounds, six foot four, and I was making this big shadow over her desk, and she was saying, I, we're not really sure if you really exist or not. And he said, while, I was, while she was doubting my existence, he said, there was this little inner voice inside of me saying, it's all right, S.M., you are really you're here, you know, you exist. Now, in the presence of doubting and skepticism, there is this little inner voice, this peaceful witness in the life, in the heart of the believer that ratifies the fact that we have been born again. It has to be there. Now, I know sometimes that voice becomes, you know, um, uh, it's dimmed by experiences that come in life or perhaps we're living out of fellowship with God. But at the point of your salvation, there was this inner voice in the spirit which gave witness to the fact this experience is genuine. Now Paul says on one occasion that no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if there has been or is an experience in your life that has caused you to declare or to confess Jesus Christ is Lord, that can only be by the presence of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. It's the Spirit of truth. Secondly, the sealing of the Holy Spirit is the seal of possession. It identifies ownership. It says to other people, it is a witness to other people that this is someone else's possession. It was meaningful in the days of this epistle because Ephesus was a harbor city. It, they, a lot of goods were exported and imported through the uh, city of Ephesus. And they exported a lot of timber from that part of the world. And so a uh, owner would go down to the, to the uh, dock and he would... Uh, purchase his timber and he would put a seal on it. And that seal marked off ownership. So that when somebody came by and they saw this stack of lumber with that seal on it, it said this, this property is the property of someone else. This is someone else's possession. Now I'm absolutely convinced that with regard to the sealing of the Holy Spirit, this is his main work. He takes the finished product, he takes my life once I have been redeemed and he places, he stamps the image of Jesus upon my life. Now not long ago we were looking through the book of Romans and we came to that passage that declares the purpose of our salvation. And the purpose or the goal of our salvation is that we might be conformed to the image of God. What that means is that the reason you were saved is not so you'll go to heaven, but so that God will have someone in this world who looks just like his son. And little by little, he stamps the image of Jesus upon our lives. So that when somebody else sees us, 
They recognize that we are His possession because He stamps Jesus' life all over us. Now, if it is true this morning that you are not any nearer like Jesus than when you were saved, you have some reason to doubt your salvation. When a person has the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's ministry of sealing, it means that God makes that person become like His Son. Now the question is, how does that happen? Well, sometimes by His rebuke. You know, sometimes that which appears to us to be the fact that we're not saved is the very evidence that we are. Let me say that a little bit differently. Sometimes the thing that causes us to doubt our salvation ought to be the very thing that causes us to have the sense of security in our salvation. Sometimes somebody will say to me, they'll say, Pastor, you know, I'm, I, I know that I couldn't be saved because I, I have this in my life and God is just dealing with me and convicting me about sin and I must not be saved or I wouldn't have this conviction. My answer to them is, the very fact that God is dealing in your life concerning that sin is the greatest evidence you are saved. Like the old Nazarene preacher who said, when you get saved, it doesn't mean that you can't sin anymore. It just means that you can't enjoy it. And God just works, you know, His work of conviction in us. And sometimes He stamps His image on us through suffering, strangely enough. Hodgkins reminds us that these stones that come out of the quarries are, 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 are rough and shapeless and, and they're insensitive, but not these living stones that God works with. They're sensitive. Thus says Hodgkins, because they're sensitive, there can be no polishing and there can be no shaping apart from pain. And sometimes this suffering, this pain, these afflictions through which we pass are just the fact that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a shaping ministry, making us like His Son. Watchman Nee said, I know of no new things I've ever learned of God except through affliction. McLaren says that every affliction comes from the compassion of God with a message in it. Someone said, J.P. Miller said that, that we don't know how much we owe to sorrow for some of the greatest blessings that have come down to us out of the past have come as the fruit of pain and suffering. And so the sealing of the Holy Spirit is to take this redeemed life and shape it like Jesus. And sometimes that's painful. No wonder the great saints of God can bless and praise God even in the midst of suffering because they see that as a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the mark of uh, possession. It's the mark of protection. Notice that it is not sealed with Christ. It's sealed in Christ. Did you get that? I, I know you noticed that. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. Now the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this. It's that work by which the Holy Spirit 
places us into Christ. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit is that mark of security that places us into Christ and seals us there. So that Jesus really, Christ is really the vessel into which we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Paul means in Colossians when he says that our life is hidden with Christ. The word means crypt or vault. The Holy Spirit puts us in Christ and seals us up there. How long will that sealing last? As long as He lasts, because I'm in Him. You go down to the post office and you purchase a registered letter. You sign for that thing. The only person who can break that seal is the sender and the receiver. So you sign for that registered letter and it's sent to the receiver. He breaks the seal. In the work of the Holy Spirit, He comes and seals us in, in Christ and sends us on our way to God and the only time that seal is broken is when God receives us there. And anything that God seals is safe. Now with your New Testament, I want to show you something. Turn over to the book of Revelation, if you will, chapter 7. And we're going to get an illustration of how this works. Revelation chapter 7. And just keep your finger there because we're going to go to chapter 9 and then chapter 14. Let me give you a little bit of, um, of uh, background and preface of, of this passage, reading it. You'll find in the book of Revelation the number 144,000. That's a symbolical number. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that that's the actual number that will be in, you know, in the kingdom. It's a symbolical number. The number 12 to the Jew was a sacred number. There were 12 tribes and 12 apostles. The number 10 to the Jew was a number that symbolized completion. Ten fingers on a man's hand, ten toes on his feet. And when you raise that number ten to the third power, it's the number that symbolized to the Jew, ultimate completion. And so you multiply that by twelve times twelve and you get 144,000. And to the Jew, it is the number that symbolized ultimate, the quintessence of completion. The exact number, the perfect number. The completed number. It means when you see 144,000 are going to be in the, in the kingdom, it means that every single one that God has chosen and saved will be there. Now look how he illustrates it. And after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now chapter 9. 
And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit, and the smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. And I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him one hundred and forty-four thousand, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on the harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Look at verses 12 and 13. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Now notice what's happening here. In the seventh chapter, he sealed his children. He sealed his people. And in the inter in the in the period of time in the intermediary between then and chapter 14, they literally suffer the worst kind of suffering that man will ever suffer. But in chapter 14, not a single one of them is lost. What God is saying in the sealing, He's saying once you're sealed in Jesus Christ, He could march you through hell and not one hair would be singed. For what God seals and protects, it stays protected. And this is the perseverance, that once you believe the gospel, He puts you into Christ and seals you and keeps you there. And then there is the seal promise. And that's back in the text, verses 12 and 13. To the end that he who were the first, verses 13 and 14, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, of promise, who is given as a pledge. Now that word pledge in the Greek means like an engagement ring. And he gives you his engagement ring. And he's got the date set. And the Bible says that there's going to be this great wedding feast someday. You're going to be there. He's going to gather his bride to himself. He has the date set. We don't know what the date is, but he does. And he's given us the Holy Spirit as a pledge, an engagement ring. He's going to keep his promise. And it means that we have 
Him, the Holy Spirit, and He has us. Look at verse 14. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. And what He's saying is that we have the Holy Spirit as our pledge and He has us as His possession. He's not going to lose us. It's like that expectant mother who has the first feeling of that child begin to move in her body. The first movement of life is the, is the forecast of the life that is to come. Have you, um, you, you've seen that commercial, haven't you? That couple that go down to the doctor and I suppose it's their first visit and, and they find out they're, they're, uh, that she's not only pregnant, she's going to have twins. And they show this um, sonogram, you know, and you see these two little creatures there and, and they're all excited and they leave the doctor's office and after that, everything, they buy in twos. You, know, you remember that little commercial? I mean, they go down to the, to the malt shop and she orders a double thick, you know, malt. Now she's got, you know, and they, they go down and instead of picking out a stroller, you know, a one seat stroller, they pick out two and, and it just goes like that and they're all excited. It's a kind of a, I think it's a, life insurance commercial, but the point is this, that once there is the stirring of life inside, from then on, every decision we make ought to be on the basis of the fact of that finished product when Jesus comes back. And every choice you make ought to be on the basis of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you in sealing you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that something happens to us when we're saved. It is so wonderful that the Apostle Paul seeks by the inspiration through a whole book to describe it. There are some of us today, Father, who are so fearful and doubtful. I pray that we'll hear that inner voice that ratifies the experience. And I pray you'll give us that sense of security that enables us to live victoriously even in the midst of affliction and suffering. Most of all, Father, I pray that you'll give us that hopeful look in the anticipation of the completed redemption. For I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake.